March 31st, 2019. The only Nationals baseball podcast you'll ever need has actual Nationals baseball to talk about. Tonight's topics. The Nats bullpen's in trouble. Can Craig Kimbrell come and save the day? Plus, the wacky adventures of Victor Robles. And we take a look around the league. From Ann Arbor, Michigan, it's Jacob Rash. From Boston, Massachusetts, it's Johnny Rash. This is the Rashcast with Jake and John. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. And uh, this is the first episode, this is episode 7, but it's the first episode in which we have real live baseball to talk about. And boy was some of that baseball infuriating. Yes, it was. I think we saw a lot of what we thought could happen this season happen this weekend. Um, just kind of those both boom and bust scenarios, both playing right. out it was at the same time. Kind of a, a microcosm of all our fears of this season. Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly concentrated on the bullpen. Uh, yes. So I guess that's where we'll begin. We'll talk about the bullpen, which did not do a very good job. Uh, of course... On Thursday, on opening day, uh, they came in with a runner on first and two outs in the eighth inning, uh, and they proceeded to allow an inherited runner to score after Justin Miller allowed a single to Pete Alonso. Uh, then Matt Grace came in in a matchup against uh, Robinson Cano, and Cano lifted an RBI single to left to make it 2 nothing, uh, which was the final score. Then on Saturday, the big meltdown of two meltdowns uh saturday the score was tied four to four in the top of the eighth inning after tony sip in the seventh made his debut looked perfectly fine uh then in the eighth trevor rosenthal came in allowed four straight base runners and two runs without recording an out then uh, a couple of relievers later the score was eight to four then in the ninth, uh, the Nationals allowed three more runs uh, after, I believe it was Matt Grace and Justin Miller. No, it wasn't Justin Miller. I think it was uh, whoever it was. It was bad. It was Bearclaw, uh, and it was not good. They allowed seven runs, uh, and the Nationals scored four in the bottom of the ninth and still lost 11-8. to eight. Then on Sunday, today... Uh, the Nats were up 5-2 to two in the 8th inning when a cavalcade of relievers, the guys that you count on, Sip came on, allowed hits to the two left-handed hitters he faced. Uh, the only guy he retired was the right-hander sandwiched in between. Uh, and then uh, Trevor Rosenthal came in for one batter. It did not go well. Uh, he allowed an RBI single to Ahmed Rosario. Then Sean Doolittle, the closer, came in after getting an out, gave up back-to-back singles, one of them not well struck, one of them pretty well struck. Uh, Nats then had the score tied at five. Uh, they would win, as you all know, on that Trey Turner uh, rocket of a walk-off home run, but uh, since we're talking about the bullpen right now, uh, I think that the thing you saw here was not just 
that the guys that you were concerned about, the guys that uh, you worry about at the underbelly of the bullpen struggling, uh, but it was also the guys that you're supposed to count on. You know, do little, maybe less so, but uh, do little, maybe less so in terms of struggling, not in terms of counting on him. But Rosenthal especially, Bearclaw had, had a really rough outing on Saturday. Yeah, and that was the main issue with this bullpen coming in, is there were a lot of flyers. Uh, Rosenthal, who's had success in the past in the majors, was coming off Tommy John surgery, hadn't pitched in over a year. Bearclaw had a high walk rate in years prior. And so even our sure thing guys with Rosenthal and Bearclaw weren't even close to sure things. And so that's what the main problem is with this bullpen, that's built off of a lot of question marks um, with with and I think that oh I'm sorry go ahead no go ahead thanks John uh, so I think the problem here is that it's a combination of an unwillingness to spend and a uh, decision to spend on players who maybe not weren't the the surest things out there uh, obviously the big Paul that laves you know that sort of sits over this bullpen is that they, you know, the Nationals' ownership never okayed a signing of Craig Kimbrell. Uh, and Kimbrell's still out there, but, uh, you know, he could obviously help this bullpen. He could help them a great deal. Uh, but it doesn't appear that there's any movement on that, so I wouldn't be so confident about it happening. But uh, obviously Kimbrell would help. But the other problem here is that the Nationals had a decision to make at the beginning of the offseason. Mike Rizzo had some money to spend on the bullpen, uh, and he chose to spend it rather than going for one of the more established guys out there. He chose to take a flyer on Trevor Rosenthal and give him an incentive-laden contract. Uh, and obviously, we're only three games in and two appearances for Rosenthal in, but that so far doesn't look like the best decision he's ever made. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still very much a small sample size. So it's still, you know, too early to call it over. But I don't want to say it's that small of a sample size. I mean, like I've been saying, five runs for a reliever, you know, all charged to him. Uh, it would take him 15 scoreless innings consecutively just to get that ERA back to a respectable three. I mean, five runs. Obviously, you don't really judge so much by ERA with a reliever or probably a better uh, way to judge them is, you know, successful outings versus number of unsuccessful ones. Because when you're pitching with, you know, such small innings numbers, uh, one bad outing can throw off that ERA. But, uh, I mean, those, those first two outings, not so great. Yeah. So that was one of the, pretty much the main storyline from this weekend was the struggling bullpen. Um, but something that I, I really like so far this year is is how well the lineup has clicked. Um, you know, the first game they went scoreless, but that was against the reigning Cy Young Award winner and a very good Mets back-end bullpen. But in the two games since, I mean, they scored eight yesterday, six today. Um, it, there are a lot of encouraging signs. The bottom of the order, uh, I mean, bottom, I mean, nine one two, uh, has been very good for us so far. Uh, and I really have been liking hitting Robles' ninth. He's gotten plenty of opportunities to lead off innings, 
and he's come through in most of those appearances. Uh, had a d- big double today to lead off an inning uh, that ended up sc- him scoring on the Turner homer. So I, I-, I think that was one of Davies' better moves was putting uh, Robles ninth in the order. Now, I, I think I completely agree. I think that Robles should be batting ninth. I think that's the smartest thing to do. Uh, the thing that sort of intrigues me about the whole situation with the, the bottom to the top of the order is that you really have in Robles, Turner, and Eaton, or well, Robles, Eaton, and Turner, three guys who you'd expect to be table setters, uh, which may be, and then followed by Rendon and Soto. Which may be not the uh, the ideal alignment. You know, uh, you might want uh, to. I would say ideally maybe have Soto batting second, uh, so that Robles, then Turner Soto, uh, allows for. I mean, first of all, Soto is a high OBP guy, and you want to get him as many as bats as possible. But second of all. You then create a situation where if Robles and Turner get on, you've got someone who can drive them both in. I mean, but you saw today. I mean, Turner could be that, do that. He drove two, them both in today with three on homer. Had another homer late in the game. I mean, Turner's look. I mean, yeah, three games, but he's looked really good this year. He's running very well. Four steals, three on opening day. Um, so Turner can can be the guy who who drives in those guys. Get on base, but he he hasn't been for you know the last two years. He's been a league average bat, which is good. You know, being a shortstop with a league average bat and what you know both rating systems qualify as as plus defense that leads to being a four to five win player, which is fantastic. Uh, Nats don't need anything more than that out of Turner, but given Soto's offensive production, I, I think that you'd rather see a guy like Soto be in a position where he has more RBI chances. Not that not that he won't in the cleanup spot, obviously. Uh, you know, you've got a whole bunch of really good OBP guys hitting in front of him. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I would just... I would say that the ideal lineup construction has Soto batting second. What would you say is the ideal lineup? Where would you put Eaton or Turner? Uh, that's the problem. Uh, it gets tricky with placing Eaton, uh, and you probably don't want him having, you know, Eaton is probably a more ideal, uh, leadoff hitter than Turner. Uh, I, I suppose you could switch it around, have Eaton, uh, bat first, then Rendon second, and then Soto third you wanted to do something like that and then drop Turner down like they've, you know, planned on before in the past. But uh, I I don't know exactly what you would want to do there. Uh, I just know that I'm not super crazy about Robles, Eaton, Turner being the sort of 9-1-2. I'd rather have someone... Especially if the the rest of the lineup isn't, you know, that five six seven wasn't contributing much of anything. Uh, I mean, obviously, again, it's one series, uh, and we should probably not be extrapolating as much as we are. But uh, you know, I would prefer to break those guys up somehow. 
And and going off of uh, Robles, um, you know, it's we've really gotten the full Victor Robles experience so far, um, <laughs> and not in the ways that you'd exactly expect. I mean, in, in spring training, there were a lot of talks. You know, you know, his glove isn't. He's got speed. He's got range, but he doesn't ha- exactly have the the route running experience. He made a lot of missed plays, and we've we've seen that so far. We saw that uh, on Saturday, and we and we saw some of the base running gaps that he makes. Um, uh, on Tuesday, on uh, Thursday. So, but then we've also seen how good he can be with his bat and his speed. Uh, he's hitting the lights out of the ball right now. I was not expecting as much power as he's shown. It was, it's been really impressive to watch him, especially right on right. Uh, the way that he's been able to turn on fastballs in uh, and middle in and pull them down the left field line with authority, hitting them hard. I mean, that's... That's next level. I mean, that's that shows really fast hands. Obviously, you know, you expect the league to make an adjustment to him, but still. Yeah, and it's just interesting, you know, seeing having him come up this year, and how much of a different player he is from Juan Soto, who right, you know, came up and you know, didn't make these mistakes. Came up, he made, he got picked off a few times at first, but he he wouldn't make the, the these as dumb as two plans as, as uh, Robles has. I mean, his wouldn't miss route balls because he just couldn't get to balls. Uh, it's a little different. But it just shows the difference between how raw much... Uh, you know, Robles is a little raw. But at his talent level, the amount of talent that he has, uh, I think he can make up for it with no problem with the amount of just pure skill. Listen, I mean, Soto, Soto is a little raw in most facets of his game. Uh, it's not just the route, it's not just the lack of speed. Soto's actually pretty fast. I mean, he's not a burner out there, but he's got above average speed. Uh, he does take poor routes to the ball. He, he doesn't lose the ball like Robles seems to, but, uh, he doesn't take the greatest routes to the ball. He drifts a lot in the outfield, uh, which annoys me to no end, but, uh, Soto, the difference I'd say between Soto and Robles is Soto's approach last year was just, I mean, it was otherworldly. The guy would crush fastballs and recognize off-speed, which ironically uh, was something he was not doing a great job of in uh, these first three games of this season. Uh, He actually had a little bit of a problem. He struck out now seven times in the first couple games. I mean, he's still gotten three hits, so it's it's not like he's not hitting. But uh, he he had a problem last year with off-speed pitches, and it seems the way that the league is responding to that is throwing him a lot of off-speed in the zone. Now, obviously, not a lot of pitchers can effectively spot off-speed pitches in the zone, but... Uh, he wasn't facing Soto wasn't facing, you know, the dregs of the league here. He was facing a very good pitching staff in the Mets, uh, who really seemed to know how to attack him. Uh and obviously he's going to have to adjust. He's gonna to have to get better at hitting. It it really didn't seem like it was the curveball or the slider that was causing him as much trouble as a lot of splitters and change ups that he saw this uh three game set. So, moving on from the lineup into the next part of the team that we saw this weekend is our starting rotation. Um, 
obviously Scherzer pitched a gem. He pitched great again, like he always has. Well, it was good. It was good to see him with Scherzer. It was good to see him throwing ninety six and ninety seven. Uh, last season, he started off with a little uh, less on the fastball, but that's probably just because it was so damn cold out at the beginning of last season. This season, he really had it going. Yeah. Um, and then yesterday, we had Strasburg. Uh, Strasburg pitched six innings, gave up three runs in the first, but then really settled down after that. Um, but one of the main question marks with Strasburg is his fastball velocity, which was down to about 92 to 94 yesterday. Um, right. So you have to wonder whether or not he'll be able, you know, it, it, it's up in the air right now whether or not he'll ever get his fastball velocity back. Um, at this point, it may be unlikely. But we have to wonder whether or not Strasburg will be able to pitch with the reduced velocity. His, his off-speed pitches still look just as dirty last you know, game as they have ever. Uh, so 92 to 94, playing off that with a, you know, a dirty changeup and a big breaking curveball, it's not impossible. It just has to learn how to do it. You know, he just needs to find exactly how to work it. And, he, yeah, he has such nasty off-speed stuff still that I, I don't think he'll have much of an issue trying to find where he stands with a slower fastball. Um, you could still get – I mean, his his fastball isn't straight. It's got a lot of movement on it. Uh, and it's 92 to 94, which isn't nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, he just has to become a different pitcher. And he still – he struck out eight. So it's not as though he was having that much of a problem missing bats. He did seem to have, at, at least at the beginning of that game, uh, in the first two innings or so, a problem putting uh, hitters away. But uh, he seemed to adjust just fine. So I'm not on the list of concerns that we have with this team. Strasburg's not. Obviously, Strasburg's health is always a concern, but Strasburg's performance isn't uh, one of the things I'm really worried about. And then we had uh, Patrick Corbin make his Nationals debut today. Um, six innings, two runs, seven hits, four Ks. Uh, what you think? What you think of what you saw from Corbin today? Well, you know, I, I have to check on this, but I just I feel like there weren't a ton of swings and misses. Uh, I didn't feel as though he did a great job missing bats or really generating a ton of soft contact. I feel like, you know, there was that ball he threw to J.D. Davis in the first that somehow didn't get out, uh, that I thought was out onto the concourse when he hit it. Uh, Beyond that, uh, you know, there was a lot of well-struck balls that found gloves. Uh, There was obviously that big double play, not a particularly well-hit ball, but uh, that double play in the sixth. Corbin had uh, 14 swings and misses, uh, 10 of which came on the slider, uh, which wasn't a great whiff rate. You know, of 18 swings, he had 10 swings and misses on the slider. It was more contact than usual off the slider, uh, and absolutely negative. I mean, I know it's a a 91 to 93 mile an hour fastball, uh, averaged really only averaged about 91 today, but. Uh, You'd like to see some sort of, uh, I mean, I know that that's not really the purpose of that, of the two-seam fastball, to get swings and misses, but it was just, he didn't look particularly sharp today, and uh, Mets hitters didn't really look like they 
were overmatched, which is a little troubling for a guy you're spending $140 million on over the next six years. Yeah. I mean, there also seemed to be a bunch of batters where you'd get, you know, into two strike counts or in good accounts, and the batter would just stay in the, the count because he didn't have that put away pitch. Um, well, he was and, he was still very efficient on the game. Yeah, he uh, was. He, he didn't throw, he didn't fall behind too many guys, but guys would be kept alive because they'd work their way back into at bats. And so he'd attack early, but then he'd start to lose a guy in an at bat. He got, I think that's what we see a, a lot from Corbin um, this year is kind of, he'll be able to, it really is kind of Geo esque in a way. The fact that he, you know, he throws, he threw that 68 mile an hour fat, a curveball today, but he doesn't throw it particularly hard and he gets generally, usually a lot of soft contact. Um, not today, but usually he will. And he's also able to get out of situations that he puts himself in. You know, that double play today was a big one. Uh, runs in the corners with no outs, uh, which was a very fine turn by Dozier. I don't think we see that play last year. I think that's the interesting thing about Dozier. Uh, you know, he hasn't looked great offensively. He doesn't have a hit yet. But he looks healthy. You know, one of the big problems in 2018 was that he had the knee injury that limited his mobility. He's looked great defensively. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, he has looked great defensively. I think his bat will come around. Um, you know, it's only been three games, so can't really judge too much off of that. But no, we want to judge this entire season based on the three games that we've seen so far. I think there's a, a tendency of people to overreact just a little bit. Like, I saw some pretty apocalyptic stuff going on on Twitter after games one and two. And sure, they weren't fun, but... I mean, what just tends to happen is that you, these are the only stats that you see. So you'll tend to, you know, fixate on these only stats. Now, meanwhile, if you have a bad two games in June or July, it's like, okay, whatever. But again, it's the only thing you see. Plus, you have your own narratives you want to put in. And so far, there's been a lot of narratives met uh, about this team, about the problems with this team. Uh, yeah, and a lot of narratives that people have been trying to force. Like the – I mean, I, I'm not a fan of Davey Martinez. I, I'll make that clear. I don't think he's a good manager. Uh, and, you know, I have my problems with him. But I – for those first two games, I don't think that he was the problem here. Uh, I think game one, the problem was that the Nats faced the best pitcher in baseball and couldn't score off of him. Obviously, there were some things that could have been done, uh, especially in that third inning when they had runners at first and third and nobody out, ways to manufacture a run maybe. Uh, And obviously, you can talk about the fact that they've made some base running mistakes uh, when base running was apparently one of these big focuses that they had in the spring. But the, as far as the managing of the bullpen, I, I didn't have any problem with how he managed the bullpen on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, they just they didn't do their jobs. There's nothing yeah, you can I do mean, about that. I mean, he put his best foot forward today, let Doolittle pitch two innings, which was interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think he's doing a good job. I think maybe he could have gotten Helix in an inning or two. I, I don't know. Uh, no, you don't want to – where would you have thrown Helix in? I don't know, you could have gotten, I mean, in case we got into extras today, it would have been useful. Right, well, that's, even then, I, I would be very nervous. He hasn't thrown in 11 days. Uh, he's never really come out of the bullpen to throw a guy into a tie game in extra innings. Uh, I'm glad it didn't come to that. 
Yeah. But there really wasn't an opportunity to pitch Alex Lynn. Yeah, thank God. Um, I mean, I I know that people like to... I I know that people like to sort of laugh at this whole saving the season thing. Uh, And yeah, obviously I'm not not, uh, super... uh, I wasn't super concerned uh, about this season that it needed to be saved in Game 3. But it did feel good to get a win. Yeah, especially with an off day tomorrow and then Harper coming to town. It feels a lot better with a one by your, by your win total than a zero. You know, especially right. since the, I, the Phillies have a chance to sweep the Braves tonight. Uh, right. Coming red hot. Um, but speaking yeah. of the Phillies and the rest of the league, I guess. Um, Good segue. Thank you. So I was been really impressed I mean, obviously, by the Phillies so far, uh, speaking of the Phillies, they have put up a boatload of runs in their first two games. And they're, uh, and their starting pitching, you know, wasn't so, so great um, against the Braves yesterday. Arietta is doing well tonight. Uh, we're recording this since the bottom of the fifth one-run game. It was a tie game. No, looks he he had a pretty decent outing, but he didn't look super sharp. The big thing that the Phillies have going for them is obviously not their rotation, although it's decent, or their bullpen, although again it's also decent. But uh, what you've seen so far in these three games is exactly what we thought we would see, which is a ridiculously good offense that just doesn't have any holes in it. It's just an impossibly difficult lineup to go through. Yeah. Three, four, five times in a game. And I think the perfect encapsulation of that was on Thursday when they intentionally walked Bryce Harper with a base open, get to Reese Hoskins, and then Hoskins goes yard, hits a grand slam. It just shows how deep yeah. that lineup is, and it's a legit lineup if it stays healthy. You know? Uh, I mean, and, everyone knows that. It's just, you know, they're just, at this point, there's. There's no one really that you want to pitch to in that lineup. There's no one you're looking forward to. Like even in the Mets lineup, with with them trotting out JD Davis, Ahmed Rosario, and Juan Lagares, you still got guys you can go after. There's there's no one in this lineup in the Phillies lineup that you can go after. It's just it's so exhausting. It is, and if I you're think, a pitcher, yeah, you know, we always talk about you know. Good offense beats good. Uh, good pitching beats good offense. But I don't know what the Phillies. Uh, that offense is just way too good. Again, three games maybe overstating, but I think you know they've looked very very solid so far. Uh, and one thing that hasn't looked super solid is the the uh, Braves bullpen uh, or the rotation really. Uh, Another thing that we should talk about just now is that uh, it looks like Xander Bogarts and the Red Sox are finalizing a seven-year, $132 million extension, which means that basically the only position player who's going to be on the market this offseason, if it comes to that, is Anthony Rendon. At this point, there's no reason for him to sign an extension. I think. I mean, yeah, if if he's the only option, you would think that he'd get paid, but I don't know. There's there's still a reason for him to sign the extension. I mean, he uh, there are many reasons for him, but you know, from a pure profit reason, he'll have a million suitors coming after him. 
Well, maybe. Again, you can't really read yeah. this market anymore. Which is why all these people are signing extensions, but we talked about that last week. But apart from that, uh, around the league, you saw a lot of offense. A ton of it for this early in the season. A lot of home runs. Uh, especially, you want to talk about one surprising team this early on. It's the Mariners. Uh, you know, I, I don't imagine that they're going to be a good team. Uh, but they have shown a surprising amount of power in their first six games. They just came off, you know, taking three out of four at home and within, you know, two outs of sweeping the defending champion juggernaut Red Sox just entirely on the basis of their offense. Uh, I mean, I don't know what it means. Probably nothing. Again, four games or six for them. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a second wild card out there that's anyone's for the taking. And, you know, why not the Mariners? No one else seems to want it. The Angels have had a bunch of stuff go wrong for them, as they were Johnny's pick. Uh, they lost Justin Upton to turf toe uh, for 8 to 12 weeks. That seems excessive for turf toe, but what do I know? Uh, I mean, the Rays have actually looked pretty solid. They just took 3 out of 4 from the uh, from the Astros to open the season. Uh, but the truth is, there are 4 good teams in the AL. Uh, and... You know, there's no fifth team that's out there. It, anyone could win that uh, that second wild card. So why not Seattle? Um, so one thing that I've been really I was really surprised with this weekend um, is the fact that the Yankees lost two or three with from the Orioles, and the, also the Red Sox lost three or four from the Ray uh, from the Ray, uh, Mar- uh, Mariners, as you just talked about. Um, I right. mean, there's. Not much to it besides that just the first three games of the season. But if you're the Yankees and you're the Red Sox, you know, you just talked about how much you like the Mariners. Uh, they're 5-1 and one to start the year. Uh, but these are the games that you have to be winning in order to separate yourself from each other. And I think it's just interesting. Right. I think it's comical that the Yankees lost three. Like I said earlier in the – I said this a little while ago, but uh, basically if you lose – if you're the, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and you lose more than four games over the course of the season to the Orioles out of 18 to 19, that's a missed opportunity, especially when you're playing you know, in a division with another excellent team. Uh, and you know the, the Yankees already lost two at home, so it's not a great start for them. No. It has been a yeah, straight start for a lot of teams. Cardinals well, are one and I three. Mean, I mean, again, early in the season, Cardinals are one and three, Astros are one and three, Yankees are one and two, Red Sox are one and three, the so, Nationals are one and two. Yeah, a lot of seasons I left, mean, yo. So there is, yeah, literally a hundred and fifty-nine <laughs> games left in the season. Uh, I'm calling it. I now. think the Orioles are going to win the AL East. I, I bold prediction. Uh, I mean. I don't. I don't know what it would take for that to happen. I think it's a fun thought experiment. How do you get the Orioles to win the ALEs? It probably involves like multiple car crashes for other teams in the ALEs, like the team bus for the Red Sox and the team bus for the Yankees. They're drag uh, racing on the highway at night. Of course. Uh huh. 
With all the players in it. As one does. Uh, I mean, it seems like fun. Yeah. What's the point of drag racing if there aren't going to be any stakes, man? Exactly. So, what are you most excited for about this week, uh, this upcoming week? I can tell you what I'm excited for. That's the uh, date we've had circle since the day Bryce Harper signed with the Phillies. And that's Tuesday night. uh, Nationals-Phillies. Max Scherzer for Zach Eflin. Bryce Harper I'm very excited home. to see Zach Eflin. I'm very excited for oh, Zach who? Eflin versus uh, Brian Dozier. That's it. That's all I'm excited for. Yeah. Zach Eflin versus Brian Dozier. I don't that know if they up. know each other. or Yeah. I mean, it's just it's a thrilling matchup. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The thing I'm concerned about is that Bryce Harper is like, if you were to construct a hitter in a lab to for the purpose of facing Max Scherzer, I think you would probably do it with Bryce Harper. He's left-handed. He handles cutters in, and that's how Scherzer likes to attack left-handed hitters. Uh, He's patient. He has an ability to foul balls off and have long at-bats. So, I I mean, I don't know what that means, but it, it, it's a little concerning. Obviously, the other good thing as far as... Uh, the Nats are concerned, and Scherzer is concerned, is that the rest of the Phillies lineup is pretty right-hand heavy. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be a lineup that Scherzer's going to struggle against, you know, any more than anyone else, considering how ridiculously good it is. But, uh, yeah, I think Scherzer versus Harper is going to be tough to watch. Or lots of fun. Who knows? No, baseball isn't fun. What are you talking about? Baseball's miserable. <laughs> Yes, it is. So I think that's all the time we have for us here today. Um, thank you again for listening. You'll be getting a lot more of Thanks. this content throughout the season. So so much content every single week. This is what we sound like with actual baseball involved. Yeah, this is a lot more fun. We, we've uh, we struggled at other times to come up with topics, but this time we could have gone on for another hour. We yes. just have so much to talk about. So, but we thanks. won't do that to you. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. See you next week.